0: y'all enjoy your lunch? Yum, yum. Chick-fil-A. After our session, we're going to have another break and we're going to have our, we'll have a raffle to get a free book or two. Yay. If you don't, if you don't win a raffle, you're going to have to buy a book. Sorry. But if you want to purchase a book, see me, and, and we'll take care of that, or just you can leave the money on the table. No, don't do that. You better see me. Um, so I just, I just brought in some, some more books. In case you already perused the book table, there's more books that you probably haven't seen. You can check those out at the break, and then we'll have our uh, giveaway. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this food uh, that you provided. We thank you for what we've learned so far today. We ask now, Lord, that you continue to minister to us through your people. Uh, we thank you for David and Heather and their uh, ministry in our lives. We pray that you would anoint them and bless them as they minister to us again today. We ask in your name. Amen. All right, let's give it up for David and Heather Kesslering.
1: Well, I uh, just want to say that we are extremely honored um, to have the opportunity to come up here and speak, and um, as I was reflecting upon it, I was just blown away um, as Heather and I have looked back on our lives and how God has used us in different ways and in different times in different places um, that he has. He has used us, and our goal today is not to be um, what you might call hospitality experts and teach you guys how to be hospitable. Our goal is to really give testimony to God and what he has done through us, and so um, it's going to be less sermon and more just kind of talking about our lives and how God has um, worked through us and in different ways, And, and hopefully the goal in that is to encourage each of you Um, to use your homes, your spheres of influence, to just be open to ministering to others. Um, With that, we're going to probably start by a little introduction. I know we've been part of this church for a a pretty long time, and many of you know us, but in order to understand um, what ministry has looked like in our lives, we thought it would be helpful for you to understand where we came from, and I'm going to Start by uh, letting Heather give a little bit of background, and then I'll give some background on me
2: So I just have to say I kind of gonna draw attention to these little Figures over here on the right-hand corner David did that so that (laughs) He would tag which slides we were doing so I get the little pink girl, and he gets the little blue boy (laughs) Anyway (laughs) i <laughs> I just want to, first of all, (laughs) yeah, there you go, Diane, only two genders on this one. Um, I just want to start off and echo what David said. I just, I hope that as you see us up here, that you actually don't see us up here, that you just see through us and see Jesus, because I know that each of you, if you were standing up here, would have a testimony to give about what Jesus has done in your life, and whether or not you're a Christian, you have a testimony as to what Jesus has done in your life, because the scripture tells us that the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. And so we who have spiritual eyes are able to see that it's Jesus. Um, But regardless of whether or not we see that, it is Jesus. (laughs) And so we just want to give him all the praise and all the honor and all the glory. I was uh, born in St. Louis. I was raised in Ferguson, um, which you all know where Ferguson is now. (laughs) I was... The oldest of four children, um, and my family had been in St. Louis for at least four generations. My great-grandfather was an architect and builder in, for, in St. Louis, um, and then I would like to go ahead and move to the next slide, because I want to kind of just go back four generations and share some stuff, and as I'm sharing about each of these generations, what I want to do is to kind of paint this backdrop that, number one... Um, there is a power that each person has to affect so many other people. And you're going to see that just in my little story. Um, And again, if you were up here, I bet you could give so many more examples of that. Um, But I also want to contrast that while each of these people that we're going to talk about were used by God in a very dramatic way, that their stories looked different The next generation story than our story has looked, and so all of these stories are just to illustrate what Christ can do through you and in you, and what He wants to, and that that is going to look different in each of your lives. Um, the first corner, the left bottom corner, was a lady that we called Aunt Francie. Aunt Francie was my great grandmother's best friend, and when um, this was during the depression, when my great grandmother. Who had opened a restaurant in order to, oh, restaurant, had opened a place to feed people um, in order to feed her children. So basically, after the lunch hour, the workers came through and had paid for their meals. Whatever was left over, that's what she fed her family. Um, When she got pregnant with her third child, she confided in my Aunt Francie uh, that she wasn't gonna be able to keep this child, they couldn't afford it. And my Aunt Francie said, oh yes you are, you're gonna have that baby and I will raise her for you. Um, So my great grandmother Ruth had Carol, the next picture, the um, lady with the bun facing that way, and my Aunt Francie raised Carol. They, um, Uncle Bob and Aunt Francie actually ended up not being able to have children of their own. And so this was their only daughter and my grandfather's sister. And they sent her to a dance school in New York and um, were very involved in her life. The cool part of that is that my grandfather got to watch this happen in his life. And whether or not he was aware of it at the time, that was impacting his life. So he ended up taking care of my Aunt Francie in her later years. He was the one that um, cared for her. And as, after she couldn't care for herself, Uncle Bob had died. And um, he took care of her until she passed away. But the impact that she had on my grandparents, um, I could tell you so many stories about the way that my grandparents opened up their home, the lives that they changed, the influence that they had. Um, they worked together their whole life until they retired. My grandfather was a pharmacist. At the age of nine, he almost single-handedly had to move his father's pharmacy to a different location because his father was incapacitated because he was an alcoholic. Um, And so he grew up, it was a very hard life. And then seeing his mother give away his sister to Aunt Francie and just lots of complexities that I wish we had the time to go into all of that. But the point today is just that Aunt Francie's life radically changed my grandfather's life. And my grandparents, with just their hearts, my grandma, uh, again, just she briefly, her mom um, had gotten sick, went to the hospital. My grandmother... Um, And her sister watched as my great-grandfather, the the builder and architect, fell in love with the next-door neighbor while her mother was in the hospital. And so as a result of that happening, when my great-grandmother on my maternal side came back home, um, she found out that she no longer had a husband. And she ended up having to raise my grandmother and sister and go to work. And her life went from being one that was well off to one that was struggle. Um, And I think another point that I want to illustrate in that is that all of us have had situations in our lives that are hard and we've all had choices to make with that and we can choose to become bitter and we can choose to do something very ugly like what Pastor Braden was talking about, um, just the, the, the contrast between the ugly and the beautiful. And my grandmother through that struggle became one that was an advocate for things that were beautiful and things that were lovely. And the hardship that was in her life and the hardship that was in my grandfather's life wrought something that was very beautiful. Um, She was an advocate for civil rights back when it was very unpopular, and she always had a heart for people who she thought were less fortunate. As a result of that, their home was always open. Their door was always open. Their store, their business, everything they did was used to help the people in their community. And that is what my mother, who's pictured holding me in this bottom corner, um, grew up with, is watching her parents impact and affect all of these different lives. Stories that I grew up with, people that came up to me as a young girl saying how my grandparents had changed their life, how they had helped them get up on their feet, how my grandmother believed in people. Oh my gosh. She believed that you were capable of anything, and she would tell you the potential that you had, and she believed it, and that's why it worked. So these people that went on to become successful people were because they had these voices in their lives saying, you can do this, we believe in you, we love you. Another really interesting part is my grandmother was a believer because of people in her life who had preached the gospel to her. She married my grandfather who was not a believer. And that could be a whole other story. But fast forward 50 years of my grandmother praying every day. I spent the night once a week at my grandparents' house, and when I would get up early enough in the morning, I would tiptoe down the hall to see if my grandmother was still in her prayer room, and I would open the door, and if I was there early enough in the morning, I would catch my grandmother either on her knees or in the Word, and she did that every day of her life as a believer. And so when my grandmother said, honey, I'm gonna pray for you about that, I knew my grandmother was gonna pray for me about that. And she prayed for my grandfather in faith for 50 years. She went through catching my grandfather in bed with another woman. She went through a deep depression as a workaholic that she was married to. When he um, retired, he went into a great depression. She was faithful and she fought for her marriage and she fought for what was right and she fought for our family in so many ways but she fought on her knees and 50 years later she got to see the fruit of that and my grandfather came to know the lord and so that testimony impacted my mom so my mom became a public school teacher my mom loved people (laughs) fancy that she loved children and she when she had me she um she, we, I, she was, had me enrolled in a private school, and then found out about homeschooling, and it just fit. I mean, she she really just wanted me to be home. She wanted to educate me. She wanted to be hugely a part of my life. And so um, she was just, she was very involved. So she quit teaching. She had me. We're in a neighborhood in Ferguson. There's 28 kids in our neighborhood, and our doors were constantly open. So I grew up in this environment where neighbors were in and out all the time weekends, evenings, summer times, not unusual for there to be an average of 13 kids running in and out of the house. My mom wiping snotty noses, giving hugs, feeding them meals, loving on them, and sharing the gospel. And that was the environment that I grew up in. Um, So all of this is just to paint a picture of what one person like my Aunt Francie, her impact on Carol, on my grandparents, their impact on my mom, my mom's impact, my mom and dad, but my mom, primarily being the caregiver that I was around all of the time and seeing, um, had an impact on me. You can go to the next slide.
1: So my background uh, is a little different than Heather's. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. I was homeschooled also um, in a fairly large family. We had five of us. But I can't look back uh, four generations and see uh, the kind of chain uh, ripple effect that Heather identified. Um, Apart from my parents, my extended family was somewhat distant, um, didn't strike me uh, or make a a big impression on me as being particularly hospitable. So that might be a position that many of you are in, where you look back at your own (coughs) upbringing and you say, I don't have any of that experience to rely on. Well, my parents didn't really either, so um, there's an opportunity to to begin anew. Um, my parents uh, did a lot of things uh, very well, and one of the things they did very well is uh, impress upon us that we had um, an open door we had a place that was welcoming of the stranger, of the new person. When uh, I was in high school um, and began taking college classes, and then later in college, I knew that I could, um, at any larger family gathering, bring anybody who I wanted home, um, even without telling them. And. <laughs> My mom would, like, instantly make friends with that person, and uh, she was really, really good at meeting people. Um, so um, that was a really great experience. That being said, we didn't have, and we lived out in the country, we didn't have a lot of in and out, we didn't have long-term guests. So there are things that were different in my family, uh, certainly than they are in Heather and I's lives. Um, but what I did see is not only my own uh, personal family but the the influence of others in my life uh, one family in particular that really really impressed me growing up was the Akins, and I know many of you know the Akins. I was very close to the Akins. Perry was uh, one of my best friends I spent a lot of time there and especially going to Missouri Baptist and living so close to the Akins, I knew that I could always go over to their house and I didn't have to <coughs> call and make an appointment I could just show up And they would even feed me. It was great. I mean, and um, when Heather and I got married, um, they were a big role model for us in terms of how we defined what hospitality would look like in our marriage. Um, Just uh, some quick overviews of who I am. Um, I'm a Christian first. Um, God saved me when I was still a child and he has taken me through uh, a long and meandering journey, um, but he has taught me and grown me uh, throughout that. Um, Secondly, I'm a homeschooler. I mean, if anything aside from Christ has defined my life, it has been that. I'm an old-school homeschooler, and I think Michelle probably knows what that means. That comes with a lot of baggage. (laughs) but basically, it means I'm really independent, and given the choice between the same or different, I'll choose different. Um, and I think homeschoolers, at least of my generation, that's pretty typical. <coughs> so um, we have two different people, Heather and I. We fell in love, and we got married. And one of the first things, like even before we got married, is uh, in our, our talks about what our life was going to look like as a new uh, one flesh was just uh, the whole aspect of hospitality and defining that and owning that in our lives. Um, Really, I think what we wanted to, to establish right off the bat was that God had given us certain things that we did not deserve. And one of those things um, was a home. I was in graduate school, and if you guys have ever been in school, you know school means poor, <laughs> and poor means apartment. But God, right before we got married, he uh, threw a connection of Heather's, had somebody call her and say, hey, I got this home I want to rent to you guys, and he threw out a number at us that was like <coughs> less than we could uh, pay for an apartment. So uh, we ended up with this great big home, Uh, It was big for two people. Um, (laughs) And we're like, oh my goodness, why did God give us this home? He must have given us this home so that we can share it with others. And we wanted to define our marriage and our um, new formed oneness by an openness to share with others. And uh, the word open is something I'm going to come back to because I think uh, openness is really critical to hospitality. Um, Openness will lead to opportunity because God is looking for people who are open to uh, letting him work through them. Um, But I I think one of the things that we did um, right, and again, not by our own uh, wisdom, but just God working through us, is not only were we open, but we were also active and creating community around us. So, um, our, well, my older brother's wife, her mother, passed away when we were still very newly married, and so we got very involved in their family's lives, helping care for the younger siblings. We were involved in my siblings' lives, and we started um, uh, hosting holidays because we were the family with the house. <laughs> And um, ever since then, it's kind of led to one thing after another, which we will get to more. But uh, I think this is Heather's slide.
2: Um, So yeah, we were, because we're going to talk a lot more about just being involved in families' lives and changing children and changing, impacting families. And so I was looking at some statistics, and this just really jumped out at me, that the number of children living in single-parent homes has nearly doubled since 1960. And even as the total number of American households with children increased by 160,000, the number of two-parent households has decreased by 1.2 million. Um, Today, one-third of American children, which is a total of 15 million, are being raised without a father. Nearly 5 million more children live without a mother. Let me go to the next slide. So I am going to share with you about a little girl named Lauren. Um, Thanks, sorry. And I'm going to try to get through this without bawling my eyes out. Um, Lauren, at age two, walked around our neighborhood by herself. Her mother worked most of the time and spent the remainder of the time in school, so Lauren was left in the care of babysitters most of the day. Her two older brothers had already blazed a trail to our house, so Lauren naturally traveled the same beaten path after them. At first this precious independent little girl said very little to us but with big black eyes watched our every move. She rarely smiled. She responded only when questioned and then only with short emphatic declarations. When we first watched her to go, watched her home, she told us we didn't need to do that because she could take care of herself. After a short while, Lauren was always one step behind my mom following Her, wherever she went, asking why my mom did this and why my mom did that. So my mom sees those opportunities. Now, or later, I should say, when the other kids played, Lauren wanted my mom to hold her. When she left to go home, she didn't want my mom to say goodbye and assured her that she would return. So on departure, they would exchange, see you later. A neighbor told us that whenever we were gone, Lauren would wander around our yard. Often we would find her on our steps, eagerly awaiting us to return. Lauren became a very different little girl. She frequently smiled, talked constantly, and hugged us all the time. And then she would ask before she left, who's going to watch me go home? Um, Our home growing up was a refuge from screaming, uncaring parents. It was an island of tranquility away from the blare of television, radios, and stereos. It was a haven of peace where the only sounds heard were laughter and kind words. It was a source of love. One day when... um, my mom was walking in her bedroom. She turned around, she had plush carpet, and saw that Lauren was placing her feet exactly in each of the footprints that my mom had left. And immediately, my mom's eyes just filled with tears as she caught this glimpse of a lovely young woman who one day would be caring for her own children, and just realized the impact that she had in this little girl's life. Um, And she often taught us in that and other similar situations that there are no accidents in God's kingdom, that nothing is left to chance. We're where we are because God has a purpose, that we did not choose him, but he chose us, and he appointed us to bear fruit. Um, And that in his wisdom, he had placed us here, knowing that Lauren needed us. And um, you can go ahead and go to the... Oh no, sorry. Go ahead. This one's David's. <laughs> um, you can go back for a second. I had the two verses just that I love how Jesus gives us these this imagery in scripture. I love how women and men are both representations of God's nature. That I think oftentimes we hear he and we hear God the Father and we hear Um, very masculine terms, but I I don't want us ever to lose sight of the fact that God says he created man and woman in his image, both in the image of God he created us, and that he gave us—me as a woman, he gave me as an image bearer of him certain gifts and traits that are part of the nature of God— and he gave men certain gifts and traits that are part of the nature of God. And there's overlap. And um, But I love that he gives us these verses and talks about, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. He talks about gathering us up as a mother gathers her chicks. He talks about being like, a nursing mother to her babe. And then he says that he is also a father to the fatherless and protector. So somebody that's strong. So there's this imagery of strength and compassion and care and nurture. And I, I just love that. And I, I think that it's important for all of us to remember in this room that we are to bear that image in the same way that our father has borne his image to us, that we are image bearers, and to be fathers to the fatherless and mothers to the motherless.
1: And just to echo that, I know many of you, um, if you're involved in children's lives at all, you're going to have children in your life who either don't have a father or do not have a father who is a good father. (laughs) As such, you can have an opportunity as men to be fathers, to be examples of good fathers to those children, as women to be mothers and good mothers to them. So the next slide is just really a reminder that uh, Heather and I have to uh, speak to ourselves, preach to ourselves occasionally, um, just that people are people and not projects, especially when you get a particularly interesting person or project. Involved in your life, it can be easy to, to look at a particular child, like there's children in our lives right now who we know do not know Christ. And uh, they're very involved in our lives. They're over at our house all the time. We have the opportunity to share the gospel with them. But recognizing that we love them because they are people and not because they are uh, a project, not because the goal is to win a soul, to Christ, the goal is to win their souls to Christ. And um, I say we have to remind ourselves of this because it can be something that's easily forgotten for people who like projects. And um, <laughs> um, another piece of this is just that hospitality is not uh, an environment. I think it's easy for many of us to hear the word hospitality and they think, oh, I gotta have somebody over for dinner and I have to clean up the place and I have to make a fancy dinner and probably get out my china. Now, I know many of you have come over to our house and if you have, you've probably eaten on china because we like that sort of thing. (laughs) But it is not because that defines hospitality. Hospitality is an attitude. It's an attitude of openness and welcomeness. It's saying you as a stranger are important to me, just as if you were my brother or my sister. (sighs) So, what's that? Paper plates. I mean, yep. If that's normal, that's great. It is normal for us to eat on China, so that's why you guys get to eat on China. There's nothing special about it. Um, Let's see, attitude. Oh, and then the last part of that is, um, I'm sure some of you, will be challenged walking away from here to um, be more hospitable, (laughs) perhaps. And um, I want you to just consider that that is not a place that you reach where you um, have to get your life in order so you can be more hospitable. Hospitality is um, really just a posture of openness towards others, Uh, a welcomeness for them to join you in your life. And that can occur now. If you have also been to our house, you also know that there are many unfinished projects at our house. Many of them that should prevent us from having people over. (laughs) I will just point out one example when we hosted a friend many years ago, and I had completely forgotten about this, but she reminds me. Apparently, we had, like, the door off in our bathroom, so we'd have to, like, announce when we were using the bathroom, and everybody else would evacuate the upstairs. And another time, we were hosting long-term guests with our refrigerator in the bedroom. (laughs) Because we were redoing the floor in the kitchen. But that's just an example of... Um, sharing your life with another is sharing your life with another. It's the life that you live. It's a life in the midst of projects. It's a life in the, the midst of cars broken down and doors off bathrooms and all of that. So um, wherever you're at in life, you can be hospitable. All right. Uh, Heather's going to tell us about Ada. So
2: this is a story that my dad would kind of remind us about, because I think it's something he'll carry to his grave. Um, And the reason there's an elephant is because Ada was a collector of elephants. She believed in reincarnation, and she believed she was going to come back as an elephant. Um, So one night, we had taken Ada to the Muni to see a musical and came back, and my dad just really felt it on his heart to witness to her, to share the gospel with her. And, you know, like— we got through the evening and he's kind of walking around he's picking up these elephants and then we're talking about it. And she's sharing again with us about reincarnation and karma. And, um, and he just, it, it just never came out. Um, and Ada died shortly after that. We never got a chance to see her again. Um, and we had known her all of my life and my dad wept bitterly over that. And I think that it's a very poignant reminder in my life um, when I think about having that urge to share and then start to kind of buckle, and I remember Ada. Um, We don't all, there's no guarantee for second chances, and souls are on the line, and God's given us something so great, and we know it, and we love him, and so just remembering that we are called to share that. This isn't an option. I think we've heard that a lot this weekend and just recognizing like when we accepted Christ as our savior, we did sign up for evangelism. We have been called to be ambassadors. We have been called to be image bearers. And part of that is sharing Jesus with other people. I think you're up still. Oh, I am up still. Um, so this came up. I really appreciated Rob bringing up this verse. I've been using this a lot in teaching the kids at Awana about evangelism, um, because oftentimes we do think of evangelism as far away. And no matter whether you are involved in evangelism far away or um, through other ministries, evangelism always has to start at home. It starts here. I loved what was said last night about preaching the gospel to ourself. Like, it has to start in our heart, and then it moves from there. It is a ripple effect. It should affect everybody that we come in contact with. You all, every one of you, Madison, Haley, all the adults, no matter your age, no matter where you are in life, you have so many Connections. You have a circle of influence. And what I like to talk to the kids about is that sometimes we think about— I always want to include church in this Venn diagram because um, we think of people that go to church as being Christians. But I know all of us are here at Liberty. When I talk to kids about this, they're in a lot of different churches. And so the point is that we go to church to learn about God. People who are in church doesn't mean that we're saved. It doesn't mean that we have our life together. It doesn't mean a lot of things that we assume. And so understanding that because you go to church together, that person sitting next to you that you go to church with every week, they may not be saved. We need to be preaching the gospel to ourselves, and we need to be preaching the gospel to that person next to us. And sometimes I think, I remember being a kid and thinking there was a certain expectation of like, okay, we all have this basic understanding, this foundation of what we believe in Christ and the standard. And so anything that they do or say or act, like that's how a Christian should be, say, or act, right? But not necessarily so. I mean, we have our standard, which is Christ. And when our brother, or maybe not our brother, or our sister, or maybe not our sister, is not glorifying Christ or is enacting in a way that isn't producing fruit, maybe they need the gospel. So there's people in your church, there's people in your work, people in your school, people in your family, people in your neighborhood, and then I think I've talked to you guys about this before, but there's so many opportunities, kids, for you to be able to evangelize and things that you can do that are going to impact your community and you can get people involved in your neighborhood in effectively evangelizing to people who are next to you and to the world through organizations like Compassion. Or, and that's something that I feel like growing up was just, and something that I guess we'll talk about actually later when we talk about incorporating our kids in ministry. But um, yeah, I'm going to save that for later. I am still up. Okay. So <laughs> three slides in a row. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and share a few more stories with you. And in terms of evangelism, I like stories. I don't know. I just, I think they're great because these are things that actually happened in real space and time and history. And they're encouraging and inspiring. Um, Home as a place of evangelism starting here. And just recognizing that you may not change the world, but you can really and truly forever change individuals world, their lives. Um, The first story I'm going to tell you about actually was a boy that my mom, so she had grown up with this girl who was a friend of hers, and this girl had a boy named Daniel, and um, my mom was Daniel's godparent, and so she took it seriously to witness to Daniel, and she would share the gospel with him. She gave him his first Bible. She witnessed to him. She prayed for him, and at one point, he was a teenager, moved out of the home, wrote my mom a letter and said, Aunt Candy, please don't talk to me about Jesus anymore. And so my mom, okay, so she honored that, and, um, but she continued to pray for him regularly. We prayed for Daniel. And I guess it was about 20 years later, he had married a woman whose mother was homeschooling and he was over at her house and was watching a homeschooling seminar that his mother-in-law had on and he looks at the woman and he goes, that's my Aunt Candy. And she goes, oh no honey, it's not. You don't know this woman. You would not know this woman. And he's like, no, that's Aunt Candy. I want to talk to her. So she gave gave him the contact information and he contacted my mom and he said, I have been wanting to get in touch with you for years. Thank you so much for praying for me. Thank you for sharing the gospel with me. I came to know the Lord. And I think the cool part about this is there are gonna be, I mean, stories that we're gonna share of people that we don't know what happened. From all intents and purposes, they have walked away from what we have offered. Um, And we, we may never know what we have shared, whether it has borne fruit or not. And we don't always get the opportunity to know that. But I think it was really neat that God allowed him to come back into my mom's life and to be able to share that that seed that she had planted bore fruit, because it's encouraging to all of us to be able to hear the testimony that God's word does not return void, that we can step out in faith and we can share, and sometimes we're going to see the fruit of that, and sometimes we may not, but we can stand on the truth of God's word, that his word is not going to return void. Um, And then the next story is about a little girl named Sarah, and Sarah, I've shared a little bit about before, but Sarah lived in our neighborhood. She moved into our neighborhood when I was like five or six years old, and we, you know, we we went over to their house and with our baked cookies and knocked on the door, and hi, where are the summers, and it's glad to have you through the neighborhood, and how old are your kids, and we should have them over for a play date. Well, Sarah took that very seriously, and she would come over whenever she wanted to, and she would just kind of barge into the house, and she was kind of bold and rude, and I really didn't like her, and I really did not want to be her friend. And my mom was like, honey, you need to, and we invited her to church, and I had my little group of friends in our neighborhood that I was close to, and I didn't want Sarah to be part of that club of friends because she wasn't nice, and Over the years, like, she was still there, and mom kept sharing the gospel with her, and my heart was changing, and mom was teaching me, and so I was sharing the gospel with her and, and, like, fairly convinced that maybe that would fix her, um... And so finally, when she was nine years old, she came over on my mom's birthday and knocked on the door after we had shared and shared and shared. I mean, literally, she would come over and we would sit down and I would read the Bible to her. I I wanted her to change real bad. Um, And so she came in. It was my mom's birthday. We're getting ready to leave. We're in a rush. You know, I got to get to grandma's house. And she was like, I want to know Jesus. And so we stopped everything, and my mom wanted to make sure that she understood the gospel and prayed with her, and she came to know Jesus, and he changed her. (laughs) <laughs> it was so cool, though. This girl came out of a family of darkness, and I am talking deep darkness. I, The stuff, I, when I share the story of Sarah with my kids in TNT, I'm basically like, I can't tell you about her family because it's X-rated, but that's what God saved her from. And is still, we were texting today on the way over here. She's having a dinner party, and she was asking me questions about how to serve certain stuff, and I'm like... She's the person that I go to. When there is a crisis, she prays for me. And she has been my closest friend. And so for God to take this little annoying, obnoxious girl and change her. I mean, I was probably a little annoying and obnoxious too. I'm not saying. but um, And to bring us to a point where we have this relationship where he's transformed her life. And not only transformed her life, but is using her to witness and minister in this deep, dark ugly awful family it's it's the ripple effect it's the power of one this is the this is the potential that if some of you haven't figured out yet that you have you have so much potential to change lives and I could go on and on about stories of how God has used Sarah, Um, little boy named Michael in our neighborhood that I was able to, when I got saved, I got saved at five. I was lying in bed, and my parents had been obviously giving me the gospel forever, and I'm lying in bed, and I'm thinking about eternity, and I'm thinking about all of these concepts that are hurting my brain. And I am thinking about what Jesus did for me, and thinking about who I am, and realizing like, I am a sinner who needs a Savior, and I got up and knocked on my parents' bedroom door, and I, they prayed with me, and I came to know the Lord then. I got baptized a few years later. I was on fire. I wish I had, like, I pray for that same zeal, because there was no stranger in my life, and I would tell everybody about Jesus, and I had friends who didn't like me very much because I was annoying, but um, as a result, Michael came to know the Lord, praise God, and um, he was another neighborhood boy, and then another girl, her name's Carrie, that I was able to witness to, and um, she came from faith-based, but over the years, there were just lots of opportunities that we were able to, that I was able to encourage her in. And it's been really neat to see her as a parent now with four children and how God has used those conversations to bring her to a place where she is more um, interested in really searching out the ways, like her family is relationship with God was very surface, and so just seeing how God, like, is able to use that to bring her to a place where she's digging deeper and going closer to the Lord, and then the last story I want to share with you is um, a little boy is named Joey and Jake. They were actually up here last night, and if you guys think of them, I would love for you to pray for them. We really wanted to have that kind of ministry in our neighborhood. And so over the past couple of years, I had just been praying, Lord, bring people in our neighborhood that we can have um, an opportunity to witness, too, because we live in a neighborhood that's primarily retired community, and so there just aren't a lot of kids in our neighborhood. The one family that we have is a Catholic family. Tyler has actually shared the gospel with um, the boy that he's really close to, and we're still praying for fruit to be born in that, but not a lot of kids. So last summer, these two little boys moved in. Their dad is renting a house down the street, and um, they came and one of the first times that they were over, I am in the middle of projects. Like it's summertime and I am a project person and I'm trying to knock those projects out before school starts. And these kids come in and they're like, my dad wants to know if you can watch us. Like I don't even know you or your dad and he's gonna let me watch you. (laughs) Like he has to go to work now. And I am like, I don't know that this is going to work out and (laughs) not thinking I prayed for this. And so then they run out and they come back in and they're like, he's already left. I guess I'm going to watch (laughs) you. So that started out our summer with these boys. And after that, I mean, we were writing to life group one night, and we go to drop the boys off because they basically get off the bus, come to our house, eat supper with us, hang out with us, and go home when they have to. Well, I, like, we have life group tonight. You guys can hang out. You can have dinner with us, but then you have to go. We go to drop them off. We get there. Their dad's not home. And I'm just, I, its it shouldn't boggle my mind. This happens all the time. But these boys have a mother who's not in the picture, have a father who doesn't care about them, and they are eager. They are so eager to learn everything, and so praise God. We prayed that they would be able to come to Awana with us. We're taking them to Awana every week. They've come to church a couple of times, which is really cool, Um, and just trying to take the opportunities to be able to witness to them as we can. The first night we were at Awana, um, Jake goes in to class, and he, I go to pick the kids up, and Jake comes out with his Iwana book and goes, oh, look, Miss Heather, I've got my very own Bible! I'm like, I don't have the heart to tell this kid that's not a Bible. So I talk to the Awana people, and I'm like, can we get this kid a Bible? So we were able to get them both Bibles, but like that's just how eager they are. I mean, they, I'm, I'm praising Jesus. So every opportunity that their father is not present and they're in our home is a blessing. Um, it's hard, but it's a blessing.
1: <clears throat> this next slide is just uh, pictures. Did you want to?
2: Yeah. So really quick,
1: the um. <laughs> So Sarah and Andrew
2: are up there. With, she's with her husband. And again, talking about the cool story, she married a believer. He's the only believer in his family, and they're all a mess, his siblings and mom. And anyway, yeah, I'm so 20 years from now, I'm going to be sharing amazing thing that, things that God has done in both of their families. Um, down here where the kids are all around the screen, David's teaching the neighbors robotics. And I think kind of, like, just the pool and the different things that we have is just to illustrate that, like, whatever God's giving you, like, use it. Um, We, with the uh, neighbors coming over eager to learn, just trying to use those opportunities in so many different ways and recognizing that like everything that we're a part of, like Awanas and Scouts and Robotics and our neighbors and the people that we have come staying with us and all of the different lives that we're involved in are all opportunities to share the gospel. Um,
1: I just want to add to that. Um, It's important to remember that um, Sarah wasn't just a statistic. She wasn't just One of the countless children whose uh, family was a mess. Sorry. She was a name, she was a person. And God loved her and reached down and saved her. And each of these people in these pictures are people that God loves, that He has created in His image, that He has made um, and given names to. So it's important to remember that our ministry is to people. One area that God has used us um, probably, and again, really in his direction more than our own wisdom, is using our home for discipleship. Um, When we got married, there was a girl that uh, Heather was friends with who needed a place to stay. And so even before we were married, she had moved in with Heather into the house that we were going to rent, and uh, we had kind of anticipated that we would marry and she would move on. (laughs) That was naive. (laughs) But it kind of set in course um, a pattern for our life in which we... um, kind of based on our conversations of being willing to be open to share the blessings that God has given us with others um, where we have seen a need and we look at our lives and see the ability to meet that need. We have strived to uh, be open to that. And so we have had many opportunities for kind of long-term hospitality relationships or people living with us. Several of these people are my siblings, Alan and Megan, um, uh, lived with us for about a year and a half. Um, My brother Warren, my brother John. John lived with us for seven years. He has attended this church on occasion, and um, probably more than any other relationship, was just a a tremendous opportunity for us to um, help grow him, for him to really help grow us. the nice, the awesome thing about living in community is it's not just us as the, the spiritual overseers um, pouring into these people's lives. These are people who we have stayed up late and had many conversations with, and they have changed our lives as much as we have changed theirs. Um, a couple kind of unique situations um, that I'll point out... Um, early on in our marriage we wanted to kind of um maybe foster and host birth moms we were working with an adoption agency um and we got approved to host birth moms and we were working on our fostering uh paperwork and all that um then um so we we did we hosted a couple birth moms um and that was um some of our first exposure to kind of the, the brokenness um, that these <clears throat> people are coming out of. Coming from a homeschool uh, Christian conservative family, um, we were very sheltered and didn't see a lot of the, the really the brokenness, the destruction, the death that sin rots in people's lives. And um, so we hosted some moms. Uh, Really, those were just for weeks or months. And um, it was an opportunity for us to pour into them. But um, uh, another another similar but uh, different kind of short-term discipleship opportunity was the hosting of Takaki. I don't know. Some of you probably met Takaki. He was a student from Japan who attends Lindenwood University. Um, And through Greg Tyler, uh, he hooked me up with the organization that seeks hosts for uh, international students for holidays. And so we hosted Takaki this past Christmas. And um, that was just an opportunity to um, not only share the gospel with him, but share the lived gospel with him. He got to see Christ as important in our Daily life and he got to hear the gospel um, both through us and through the the circle of friends that were around us at Christmas time. I know in one particular case, we had a Christmas party, and one of the homeschool moms uh, found Takaki and just really, really clearly presented the gospel to him and um, and gave him a Japanese Bible and He's an atheist, and to this day, I I don't think he has uh, changed or professed faith, but those seeds have been planted. Um, Another area that um, this is kind of moving from openness to kind of the intentionality aspect of hospitality. Hospitality, several years ago, Heather and I were talking, and she had the idea to... Uh, in order to promote um, growth, to promote harmony, to promote uh, uh, situations where we're able to um, fellowship and minister to each other of hosting a family night. And uh, for any of you who don't know us that well, family is kind of a loose term in our world. Um, it means anybody that we see at that particular moment. Um, <laughs> Many of the people who come to Family Night are actually related to us, but many of them are not. Um, For three and a half, almost four years now, we have hosted Family Night on Monday nights, and um, some nights we dedicate to prayer. We've gone through book studies, um, we went through screw-tip letters, um, we have hosted additionally many holidays, um, and sometimes it's just food and fun and games, and um, but having that type of environment as a weekly kind of thing has also given us the opportunity to invite strangers into that. And these names here are just people um, who I may see a friend that Aaron Bounds invited to family night. Uh, Sayanti was somebody I went to grad school with. She came and joined us for Thanksgiving one time. Um, Jason was also involved in our lives. Kelly and Abby, single mother and daughter, we were involved in their lives for three, four years. Um, for everything from babysitting Abby, helping homeschool her, to supporting um, <coughs> and praying and lots of things. Rizwan, Rizwan was, uh, uh, was he? Afghan? Pakistan. Pakistani, um, we were at Starbucks talking, and this guy behind us, I don't know, he, did he comment on our kids, or, yeah. So anyway, we started a conversation with him, and he was really interesting, so we're like, hey, you should join us for Easter, and, uh, and he did, which was awesome. He was Muslim. Um, and we, yeah, we're not very good at this, so I have a very German family and we all made breakfast and everything had pork in it. It was Easter brunch, everything had pork in it and Rizwan had brought some rice so he ate his rice. <laughs> so he did join us for other holidays in which we made non-pork <laughs> foods. Um, Yeah, that was a major bad on our part. (laughs) Um, Let's see. So I'm going to hand the mic to Heather in a second. Um, I just want to transition to this slide. Um, It's easy to stand up here and kind of highlight the the glorious, the spectacular, the awesome things that God has done. Um, That doesn't mean that it's particularly easy to to be hospitable, and Heather's going to talk about some of the challenges.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say with Riz, too, I mean, it was kind of fun because he, well, he came back after the pork offense, <laughs> and, um, and we got the opportunity one night to stay up with him until, like, 2 o'clock in the morning and just really share the gospel, which uh, we don't know if what's happened with that, but the seeds were planted, and we've only been called to be faithful to do that. So, um Yeah, I think I just, I want to, you know, we want to be real about all of this. And while I, I feel like my mom did such a great job of fighting for joy. I mean, she just growing up and having people in her home all the time, and she she loved people, and she expressed that, and she articulated that, and I'm sure there were moments that were really hard. I love, again, just going back to what Pastor Braden said about We listen to ourselves instead of speak to ourselves. And I think my mom was really good about speaking to herself and telling her, speaking truth in her life and believing and clinging to that truth rather than um, dwelling on what I know was hard. Um, And so in my life, I don't feel like I do as good of a job with that. And I was really challenged by Pastor Braden last night. And I just, I want to do, I'm just confessing, I want I want to do a better job at that. I think I, um, the conflict is very real. The tensions are very real. I, because growing up with that environment, it's very natural for me to do these things, but it's very hard. Um, because I am a very type A personality, I like things to be very organized, I'm very project oriented, I'm very goal oriented, I praise Jesus for my husband because he speaks truth to balance that out and to constantly pull me back to anchor me to what is important. Um, Because it was so easy when Joey and Jake came down the first time to look at that as an interruption. It interrupted my day, it interrupted my plan, and and there are things that are, we have priorities, right? Like there are things that have to get done. I have to feed my children. I have to educate them because we've we've chosen that path, Um, and that's a responsibility that I will answer to God for. Um, There are things in my life that those things have to be balanced with these other things, and I'm not always good at that. And so just being real that there are extra broken things and there's extra mess, that's extra work, there's extra fighting, there's extra meals to make and extra dishes to do and extra laundry and lots and lots of less sleep um, because we, we like to, I mean, we naturally stay up late, but we also... And put a high priority on maintaining our relationship, and so keeping like people will stay over until two a m that means we 're up until three a m or you, like there are so many nights where we're up david doesn 't get as much sleep as he probably should um, for work he has coffee. <laughs> I hope he mixes those chemicals correctly um, but anyway like this is the reality. The reality is that this is hard. The reality is also that this is good. This is a good thing. The reality is that even though it's hard and even though there is this extra, that this is good and there can be joy in this. And so um, so that tension of fighting for orderliness and organization because I think more clearly and I think I'm happier (laughs) and recognizing that all of these interruptions are divine appointments by God. And so being able, if you all come over to our house tonight, it's a mess because the neighbors have been over and stuff has happened and that's okay. And so a lot of our marriage has been me having to let go of what my personality prefers, and trying to rest in what I intellectually know is good and best. And I say all of that, and and I recognize, and I think we can all recognize, like we're very complex human beings. Like I have so much joy and so much excitement about these little boys. I love having people over. I love the life that God has given us. I love entertaining. I love being able to host people. I love the fact that in the 15 years of marriage, we've probably had one, maybe one and a half years where we have not had somebody living with us. That has been a blessing. Um having being able to use what God has given us and to say, here it is, Lord, like that is a blessing. But It's a tension. And so this tension is always going to exist because there is always a need for us to make sure that we are keeping the main thing the main thing, that we're always putting our priorities in place, that we're always... um, Like I always want to be able to prepare good meals for my family, and I want to be able to give them a relatively clean house to live in, and I want to give them a good education, and I want to love my husband well, and I want to love my children well, and I want to love my church well, and I want to love the community well, and I want to be obedient to what Christ has called all of us to do, not just part of it. And so there is always going to be David and I having to Reevaluate. where are we we're at a place right now where family night today isn't what it looked like three and a half years ago people it's not um generating as many strangers as it used to be and the the conversations aren't as deep there's there's friction there's there's family members who are questioning their faith there's family members who are walking in a different direction and they're not wanting to engage in deep conversations because it's not fun and so Trying to figure out, like, how do we still maintain that posture of openness and not look like we're shutting them out, but recognizing this isn't meeting what it used to. We want to bring people into our house that want to know Jesus, that we can preach the gospel to, and our time is limited. There's only 24 hours in a day, and our, you know, like, those questions are very real questions, and they have to be answered, and they have to be dealt with, and those tensions are always going to exist because the seasons of our life are constantly changing, Um, and so I would just encourage All of you, as you're moving forward, never stop asking those questions. Never stop reevaluating, like, what is the best that God has for you? Because sometimes a good thing isn't the best thing. And and yet he's still always calling us to have joy and to preach his name and to be involved in our community and to see the mission field for what it is. And so um, I think you were going to comment also.
1: Yeah, I mean, the Christian life has lived well uh, needs to be lived in in wisdom Um, and so we are called to a posture of openness but there are are times and seasons in life where that is going to look different in our life than others. Um, For the past few years um, part of that has included family uh, family night, has included um, hosting life group. Um, This year Heather and I looked at our schedule and looked at everything, and we said um, we needed a break from Life Group, and so we took a break from Life Group, and we're looking forward to an opportunity to host Life Group again, but um, recognizing that God gave Sabbath, God gave appointed days of rest, and it's important to work um, hard for his kingdom, but also to recognize that you'll come to a place where you need to find and take the opportunity to rest, to change. Um, It's not like you're going to define what hospitality looks like in your life now, and that's gonna be what it looks like for the rest of your life. It's going to be for a season, and then you'll have to reevaluate and change. Um, I just wanted to speak, and I know we're going over, but it was kind of awkward starting early, wasn't it? I thought it was, yeah. We're not used to that. So I'm gonna begin all the next slides with, in conclusion, <laughs> there's not that many more um, so in conclusion um, it's not all uh, the happy Indians I would like there have been more situations than not where we have seen uh All of our pouring into someone 's life uh, kind of fade into the distance, and we don't know what God has done with that. we don't know um where the birth moms are or we, we do know um, <clears throat> kind of one of the tragic things is um in really both situations uh, that we had in, in that particular uh, experience. Um, we saw both birth moms return to abusive situations. And so that was really hard and and hard for us to um, to take. But we don't know what God has done with our part of their life. If he has used that to plant seeds or, um, or if he has just used that to prepare soil for another person to plant seeds. Um, we have seen relationships that we used to think of as very strong and intimate kind of become frigid and break um, within our family, and that's been hard. Um, And we know that although we preach the gospel to everyone, not all will believe on Christ. And so um, if you're going to take the time and emotional energy to really invest in people as people, it's going to be painful, because some of those people are going to reject you (laughs) <laughs> they're going to reject the good gift that you are offering them because they prefer that which is ugly. And people are free to choose. Um, and part of living a life of openness is letting go as well as is accepting what God has given us. <laughs> and so one of the things that Heather and I have had to learn as we've grown is to maintain that open hand when God removes things from it as well as when he gives us things to do. And so we do that in faith by walking, uh, believing that uh, his word does not return void. So when we stay up late and have a conversation with somebody, um, let's say a Riz and open the Bible and share his word with him, and he may go on and reject that word, but that word has a purpose, and it will serve the purpose that God has intended for it. And so, um, if you guys really engage in this type of activity, there's going to be situations that you can look at humanly and say, ah, that was a failure. Um, walk in faith, believing that God will make beauty from ashes. God will take what man intends for evil and cause it to be good. Did you have anything to wanted that? No. All right. So in conclusion, Heather's going to incorporate our kids.
2: <laughs> and I think this is actually our second to last slide, and they're pretty quick. So um, I'm, yeah, I'm just going to be really brief. So I, you heard my story in terms of the generational thing. And so I think it's just having that same idea with our kids. Like, we're gonna take them with us where we go. We want to experience the world together. Um, As much as possible, I want to make their world smaller. We had an opportunity to go to Ireland with David a few years ago, and I think it's just every opportunity that we have to meet other people groups and to see that humans are all human. Sin is sin wherever you go, people need Jesus wherever you go, and those things just make our world smaller. Um, leading by example, so I can tell my kids they need to evangelize till I'm blue in the face, but if we're not actively doing it, I don't really know that it's going to mean anything to them. Um, and then just showing them kind of the broad picture, but then also teaching them very specifically. And that can be in a lot of different ways. And for us, that's been through doing things like talking about situations in our own home and in our neighborhood, in our community. It's been through Compassion. It's been through um, the Samaritan's Purse and all of these other organizations that we're either involved in or supporting, like or including our kids in that. And seeing our kids get excited, and Tyler has been involved in trying to raise money for a couple of different organizations over the years. And that's them owning it. You know, that's the fruit of them just seeing what we're doing and taking that themselves. Judah was the one who said, hey, if you taught the girls this, like, why can't you come teach TNT boys this? And talked to his leader and asked if we could share the life books with them. So that's exciting to me. When I see the kids getting excited, when I hear them sharing the gospel with others, like, praise Jesus. And reading through obviously the Bible, but I hopefully you all are getting periodicals from um, Compassion or World or, um, oh, I can't, Voice of the Martyrs or, you know, just various things where you're reading them books about missionaries, you're reading them articles about missionaries, you're reading them things that they're seeing God working in the lives of his people, because that's what this is. This is just his story playing out in the lives of all of us.
1: All right, so this is actually the last slide. Um, and it's the last because it's the most important. Um, one of my heroes was quoted last night. Um, Frances Schaefer. I told Heather before we got married so she knew what she was getting into, but when I am old, I'm going to be Francis Schaefer. I'm saving up for <laughs> knickers. Every once in a while I'll start to grow my goatee out and Heather will be like, yeah, not yet. <laughs> no, Francis Schaefer is awesome. Um, if you guys haven't, uh, or don't know anything about him, I loved A uh, Christian Manifesto. I read it in college as part of one of my classes. Um, but then I found on uh, the Covenant website, Jerome Bars had done a class on the life of Francis Schaefer, and I think by mistake they must have put all the MP3s on the website so you could listen to them for free. So don't tell anyone, (laughs) but I was able to listen through that. And he just had an amazing ministry. Um, I loved his relationship with Edith. And uh, one of the things that really struck me and kind of defined our life as much as anything else was just his approach to ministry. So he, he, um, after being a pastor over here and doing the Presbyterian thing, he moved to the Alps, and he bought a home and had a little farm And he and his wife um, didn't advertise or anything. They would just pray that God would send somebody that needed their ministry to their home. And then that person would show up. And then they would minister to them. And they would live life together for a season. And then that person would be healed and move on. (coughs) And that's kind of been um, one of the, the... the models that we have tried to emulate, when we find ourselves looking around at our spare bedroom or whatever and thinking, you know what, we're ready for another opportunity. We pray that God would send somebody, and he does. Um, whether it's through Greg Tyler mentioning that there's some international students who need a host or some family member who is going through trouble, we had uh, our babysitter, Um, in a conversation just expressed that she needed to move out of her home for a particular reason and Heather was like well you are welcome to move in with us and she lived with us for a year and a half Uh, we saw God do tremendous things in her life during that time Um, he has given us opportunities to mentor given us opportunities to counsel um, all just by praying and asking and so That is really, more than anything else, what I would ask each of you to walk away from this session and do. Go home, find a quiet spot, and really ask that God would send somebody into your life that you can minister to, that you can be hospitable to, that you can open up your life and share with them that which God has given you. Did you have anything?
2: Say really quick um so I feel like this is something that hopefully everybody can take something away but specifically to the couples right now I just want to say that um another book like we loved Francis Schaefer we love reading together and just as couples because this doesn't just affect one of you it affects both of you it affects your whole home life you really have to be in unity on this um and one book that we really liked that wasn't even a marriage book, but it has been one of our favorite marriage books, has been A Severe Mercy. Um, it's by somebody who came to know uh, C.S. Lewis after he became a believer, or through C.S. Lewis became a believer. And so 17 of his letters of correspondence with C.S. Lewis are in this book. But this book is really cool in how it illustrates Their oneness as a couple, the beauty of Christ being able to work through them. And one of our favorite stories in that was that when they first got married, they didn't want anything to be more important and any material thing. So they bought a new car, and they went around pinging it with a hammer so that (laughs) it couldn't be more important anymore. And they called this thing the the shining barrier. And so David and I will often refer kind of to our shining barrier um, and just— this thing of prayer and being able to be a light and being able to do this together, Um, go to the Lord together in prayer about it and see how he's leading you. And I believe that he will bring you to a place of unity. And I would just encourage you to constantly read together, grow together, love the Lord together, serve together. Um, It's been a beautiful thing. And I just thank you for the opportunity to be able to share.
0: In, in conclusion, in conclusion, Heather, don't leave. We're going to pray for uh, David and Heather. Father, we thank you for um, your work in them and through them. We thank you for the lives they have touched and that they are touching, including our own. We do pray, Lord, for um, the, the, things that, the hard things they've shared today about some family situations. and We don't know details, God, but, but you know all things. I pray that you would um, just continue to instruct them, guide them, encourage them. I pray that they would not lose heart, even um, though some may not hear. Uh, Lord, the the truth is the truth, whether anyone hears it or not. I pray that they would be uh, comforted and encouraged and built up by you. Uh, we just thank you for their witness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you. Good job. All right, we're going to take a quick break.